DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. Dirt, dust, danner, and allergens are no match for Zero Res carpet cleaning. Want the contaminants gone? Call Zero Res. Right now, just $33 per room to get your carpets Zero Res clean. But minimums apply. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online at Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. Time to welcome in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. Steve, good morning. Good morning, fellas. Steve, it's that time of year. It's March. It's madness. You feeling it? <laughs> you know, I'm feeling it. Uh, I'll, I, I'll, I'll be interested to see what the games feel like as we watch them, but I'm excited to see the teams play. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's, just, it's just been so different this year. Um, but, yeah, this is a great time. It's probably, uh, I don't know, the least climatic. I, I'm thinking the NC2A tournament when they're in the bubble in Indiana, that, that'll be – kind of special, but uh, it's hard to really, really jump into this thing unless you have a favorite team or a favorite player, and obviously I got, you know, I'm, I'm following uh, BYU, I'm following Fresno State, I mean, I'm following teams that I know, I have friends' teams, but it, it isn't quite like it's been in the past. Um, it's just, just not having fans. Uh, yeah, the game's pure, and I love watching the game, but there, that's a missing piece that uh, makes this a special time. Not yeah, a, what, a, I, I saw madness. Jeff Call did a story. It was 20 years ago that you guys won the tournament. Is that Was that accurate? Was it the 20-year anniversary? That's, that's correct. Yeah, I can remember that, man, and being down there in Vegas. It was just an unbelievable time for you guys as far as rebuilding that thing and getting to the NCAA tournament. You know, you took over literally the worst college basketball program the state had ever seen and uh, with one win and in four years you got to the tournament it was an amazing experience as i was reading the story that jeff wrote one of the there's a little phrase that you had in there that really caught my eye and i wanted to ask you about it you were talking about how you experienced some joy and i i can remember talking to you underneath the stands there in that tunnel up that goes up underneath that one basket, and it's obviously you were beaming. But you made a statement where you said, "Winning usually is a relief more than it is joy," and that's sort of the essence of coaching, and it's why it's so stressful. Losing sucks, and it's the lowest of lows. But winning sometimes it doesn't equate to the uh, the flip side of how bad losing stinks versus how winning is because it's a relief. That doesn't seem like it's a real fair trade-off. No, you know, and I, I guess people that are around, you know, athletics and around coaches, I mean, it's just, it's the truth. I mean, you grind and grind and grind. You have expectations. The players have expectations. But truly finding joy in this, and, and that was one of the more joyful experiences. I've had a few, you know, in my life where they're just absolute joy. And but uh, most of my coaching life, it was like, here's what's expected. This is what we need to do. And you miss out on that. And I, I think looking back, I, I don't know if I could have fixed that. Even looking back now, thinking I can't, you know, I have to I have to make this good in my life. I have to have find joy in it. And, uh, having that perspective is easier to talk about, you know, 10 years after you're out of the business than than uh, while you're in the midst of it. And I don't I didn't really feel like. It was so, it was self-imposed pressure. There was nobody telling me, uh, no administrator. There was no fan base that was just saying, "Hey, th- this isn't working." It was more self-imposed. And but that time, that moment, 
there were a few of them, different experiences with a team rebuilding like that, that you get so close to them that you see their joy, you enjoy it. And that was a special time. And one of the things in that article uh, was the year before when we beat Utah. And we beat, beat Utah, which was the first time in the, in the second round of the tournament. And uh, I can still remember taking Eric Nielsen. Uh, a lot of people maybe listening to this call may not remember Eric, but about a six seven, six eight forward, just a great young man. And, and seeing him as happy as he was, because he had, he had kind of lived through the, the one win. He, 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 his class had gone through that. He had seen the worst of it. And now, you know, they kind of finally got over the top and beat Utah. And, uh, and that was one of the first things. I remember going into the, the media room. I'm, I mentioned this, Jeff. I can't remember. But basically, the people, they didn't know who he was. and said, well, you know, where have you been? You know, he said, man, I've been in Russia. <laughs> you know, he's been on a mission. And, and uh, it was one of the, oh, I don't know. It, it was such a sweet experience to see Eric feel that. And I felt that that day. And, and it gives you something internally that you know that what you're what you're seeking, what you're doing is a is a good thing, and it's gonna it's impacting people, fans, and, and players alike. So when we were able a year later to uh, li- literally you know beat Air Force on the road to, to uh, get a co-championship and to see obviously McKelly had been the foundation of that team, but we had two really really good guards in Terrell Day and Trent Whiting, and uh, they made big plays, big baskets, and it was obviously McKelly was the heart and soul of that team, but those two guards, am I ever glad, two transfer guards, that we don't win that championship without them, but it was, uh, it was a great, great experience with everyone, and uh, you could just breathe a little bit. <laughs> a lot of times you can't breathe after games, win or lose, and, and that may be more of my problem, but I've talked to enough coaches, uh, most of them agree with me on that. <laughs> You know, not having ever been in, in your shoes in that way, it's it's hard to get this. I think the thing that makes the most sense to me is that when you're building a program on the way up, the wins can be exciting as you're making the progression and you're getting better. But it really makes sense to me that as you get to the mountaintop and you try to stay there, when you're expected to win, then it makes complete sense to me. And I just read a story about, you know, Gonzaga, can they do it? There's only been four or five teams in the last 45 years that have been undefeated going into the NCAA tournament. And I distinctly remember the UNLV team getting near the end and playing like they had a piano on their back. But maybe a little bit with that Kentucky team a few years ago, too. And I'm wondering what you expect and you know how much you know those guys on the staff up at Gonzaga and how they have, at least to date, made it look so easy. Well, number one, I think the continuity of a staff, the maturity, uh, the kind of people they are, uh, they, uh, you know, these are, these are really good people, coaches. And, and, and you know what? They're, they're recruiting elite kids. And many of them are coming from different, you know, for a long time, coming from different countries where players have appreciation for, you know, obviously people coming from Europe or different places in the world. They have a chance to come to the United States and play basketball. There is an appreciation. There is a respect. And obviously, guys get sent to places where they know the culture of a program is solid for development, for uh, the kind of attitude they have uh, in terms of opportunities to be seen and exposure. 
And Mark Few has created that. And it didn't happen overnight, but they've, they've got a system. They've got a culture that uh, it just uh, it works. And you, you, you wonder why, how people are coming to, coming to Spokane to, to, to why would they come there? But it's, it's more about getting to the next level. And they're getting the kind of guys now, last six, seven, eight years, the guys they're getting are, are next-level guys. And they may not be the elite next-level guys, but they're getting next-level guys. And uh, so, to their credit, they've they found a way to do that. Listen, this is a game, this is a pressurized business for for everybody, and from administrators to coaches to players to fans to parents. And uh, the one thing I, I always loved about Mark Few is that he has such composure. It doesn't mean he can't be intense and upset and coach and motivate and do all those things, but he has a real sense of who he is, a sense of where he is. And, and, and guys pick up on that. They pick up on that. And so, uh, I, I, I know that the, you know, the, the conversations, the narrative is, well, you go two months, you really haven't played real keen competition now. Whereas if you were in the Big Ten, every night you're playing someone in the top ten, uh, are you going to be prepared for this moment? Uh, honestly, I've seen them play probably three or four times. This is the tightest, greatest chemistry type team that I've seen Gonzaga have. They may have had better players, but this is this is a team that is really together. And so, uh, I, I would love to see Mark Few win a national championship. I mean, I would love to see Mark Pope win a national championship. But at the end of the day, Mark is at the point of the mountain where that can happen. And it's not the there's you know 300 and some other schools that have that opportunity too, but. Uh, there, there are there are some really really good programs right now who have really good teams. The only thing, if it doesn't happen, you probably go back and say, well, January and February didn't have many close games. There wasn't a lot of you know, there wasn't a lot of competition, and uh, they weren't ready for the moment. I mean, that's what that's what analysts are going to say if it doesn't happen. Uh, I hope it does happen. Uh, I think it's good for the league. And they're the they're the team in the WCC who has the best opportunity to do that. I mean BYU being in the tournament is awesome, and they and they've done well, and the seniors have really stepped up. And I do believe they're capable of winning a game or two as well, if uh, if you know they get the right matchups. It's a really good basketball team. But speaking of Gonzaga, that's uh, that's a special place where Mark has kept it at a very special level with good people. He's surrounded with good people, and that's how you sustain it. I know that because I know how hard it is to do that, especially starting from the beginning, from the bottom. And it's not easy. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of roadblocks and hiccups as you go through that. That's why in 2001, that team was so special to me. Every one of those young men. We, I had talked, we had talked about getting together this year. I uh, had had a conversation with, with Brian Santiago about bringing everybody in on this 20-year anniversary, but COVID kind of took care of that. Maybe we'll do it another time, but just to get everybody together, have a meal and kind of reminisce and, and, and maybe go watch a game during the season. Maybe we'll get a chance to do that. We don't, we don't need any extra attention. Just a, It just would have been a fun time to get together and, and reminisce. I, Terrell today lives in, in Fresno, Clovis area where I live. And I can tell you, I sent him the letter because he uh, of Jeff's article. And he, he and, and this isn't a very emotional kid, and we're not talking to each other all the time. He texted me and said, Coach, he says, I watched that New Mexico video, and I just got chills watching it. 
that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And, you know, he went on to play about 12, 13 years in Europe, but it, it's, it was a sweet text to get from Pharrell, uh, a, a young man that had a great influence, in it, and it just all came back. And it's not like they sit around and think about games, but when you reflect and remember kind of what went on and all the transfers that came before them to kind of reestablish the program, uh, it, it's, it's, it is a special thing. You speak of that pressure, and my thought for you is I, I can remember after you got it going, the pressure to get back. In my mind, watching you, and I was covering you day to day at that time for the newspaper, I felt like you were under way more self-induced pressure to get back, to keep it going. A, a couple of incidences, DJ laughs, we were in o- Omaha. Great you were, story. <laughs> you were getting ready to play Creighton, who had Kyle Korver. I think Altman was the coach, and he just yes. won his uh, title again there with the Pac-12 at Oregon. You had Travis Hansen. Well, I'm I'm fired up, man. I'm getting ready to go sit courtside and watch a good game between two good teams with future NBA players. The stands are packed, and you walk by me in the hall, and you look at me and say, look at you, man. You don't have a care in the world, and I'm all stressed out. I don't. You probably don't even remember that, but I do, and, and, I, and I chuckled, yeah, because I was excited to sit and watch a good game, and you had to win the game, and there was another time where you had Arujo and those guys and you were expected to go to the tournament and you were struggling at the time. Eventually you got to the tournament, but you took a day off and I think you went down to Irvine to speak at uh, an alumni something. I'm not sure of the details. And you came back and I remember you telling me, you just used the expression about being able to breathe. And here we were socked in with the fog and everything and, and you got down to Southern California and it was warmer obviously and the air was cleaner, and you just said to me, man, I could breathe down there. And it's like I can like, vicariously feel your stress, like, something you can't feel, but I could see it in your body language and in your face. So my thought for you, what is more stressful as far as, like, Quinn Snyder's going to face this now. It's not about building anymore. They've already built. It's about achieving now this great expectation. How's that stress compared to the stress of when, like, Quinn was trying to build, but he's past that now, and now he's got to get to a higher level? Well, I think, I think first of all, the, the stress comes from expectations, personal expectations, and, and, and there's outside expectations, too. Let's not be naive. There's, there's expectations everywhere. And I think the, the you know, the, like we talked about a few weeks ago, you know, going to New Mexico and UTEP and winning on the road and hostile environments in the first year you know, there wasn't any real pressure there. It was like that that you could just go, oh, my goodness, this is one of the greatest experiences. And we had moments like that where we had big wins and as you grow it. And then what happens is you grow it and, you you know, you realize, hey, we're, we're building a program here. We're not just having a year. And so, I mean, honest to goodness, you're spot on. I mean, and I know everybody has strengths and weaknesses. But looking back, my greatest regret is I did not take the time to really enjoy the moments. And, and I don't know, I don't have an answer for you to say this is what I should have done. I just know I didn't do it. And it wasn't healthy for me. And, uh, and it, it kind of just, just keeps building on you and building on you. 
And, and you know, you don't want to, as a coach, I'm going to just talk personally here, but you never want to disappoint people. You want people to be happy about the product and who they are and how the kids are acting, what's going on. And, and I probably took more of that on myself rather than maybe delegate. I mean, I delegated coaching stuff, but I did not, I didn't have the conversations with my staff. I mean, Dave and I had some staff talks and about things, and, but I, I didn't have near the, the, didn't take the time to bring my staff in. And I always appreciated them. And I always thanked them. And I thought we had a really good culture and environment with my coaches, but I, I should have done more. I should have done more to let them know that it, we're at a really good place. It's because of what you and these guys are doing. And uh, I was really talking to myself because it was like no matter what I did, it wasn't going to be enough. And, and you, you can't coach uh, effectively when sometimes you have that attitude. I, I didn't have it all the time. But I, I know what the difference between relief after winning a game and what joy feels like. And when joy is when probably you're not expected to win and guys just play unbelievable and you find a way to dig one out. Relief is a team you're supposed to beat anyway. Let's get on to the next prep. And, uh, but if there was any, if there ever a time that I felt true joy, it was in 2001 watching that team and what we went through and, and the commitment of the young men and the institution to get there. And you're right. Then we went, you know, we won a couple more championships, went to the tournament, and, and, and it, it ended up being a good thing. And, uh, but I, it's hard. It's really, really hard. You got to make an effort. I, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that have therapists and people they talk to and, you know, coaching guys that have coaching gurus that talk to them. And, you know, I never really did that. I just kept everything to myself. But if I were to redo it over again, I think I'd love to have a guy that I talked to. And just, you know, not necessarily walking me off the bridge or the tower jump, but more like, hey, let's, what, what are you, what's going on here? I, I think it would be healthy. I've seen too many of my friends in life today, family members, friends who get help from other people. We get help from everybody and lots of things. Why not that kind of emotional help, that mindset help that could really be effective for coaches? Uh, I, I, and I know there are there out there and the guys that help the players, but I think sometimes they skip and forget the coaches just assuming they'll, they'll be fine. But uh, I probably could have used a few people to talk to to get myself where I needed to be. But, I mean, it was still a great experience. But uh, if I do it all over, I'd, I'd find ways to really, really enjoy wins. I think that's one of the things I really like about Mark Pope. He's young. He's got good teams. It's always fun when you're winning. But I think he's found a way to not only enjoy it himself, but to get the kids to enjoy it. And, uh, and I, I think and it's not that he, they are around jumping up and down all the time. When they're not playing well, they're gonna, there's accountability. But I think certain guys are better at that than others. And I'm a good guy, and I get along with everybody, but I have a tendency to beat myself up more than uh, I probably should have. And consequently, I probably didn't get as much out of that in terms of that pure joy that you can get from coaching the sport. I loved it. I look back. It's easier now than it was then, but that was probably one of my weak points as, as a coach and as a person. So, Steve, and I know, I know we're about out of time here, but I'm really curious, the advice you could give Larry Kristoviak. We're going to have him on the show here in a little while this morning. And 
you know, you both took over a program that had to be completely rebuilt from the foundation up. And you both got to the NCAA tournament. You've gotten there more times than he did, but, you know, he won games when he got whatever. But basically, you both got where you were trying to go. But then what happens when you go down the other side of the mountain and it's slipping away? Now, it was unique for you because the Fresno State opportunity came up. So you end up getting the change of scenery. He's now, you know, three games over 500 in the last three years. I think it's 44 and 41 in the last 85 games. And he's got to be feeling it. And you've got to at least know a portion of what he's feeling. How would you advise him, coach to coach, not media guy, but just as someone who's kind of, you know, run a parallel path? You know, I know Larry. In fact, I was with Larry a couple years ago and with, with his team. And uh, I have a friend that does some consulting and things with him, and I had a chance just to meet him in a more personal level, and I had a chance to meet his players, and uh, a great group of people. Uh, I, I know the business part of this. I think the thing that is this, is that Larry is can coach. He understands the game. I've watched him with his kids in settings. We, it was kind of, we had a culture-building event that we did, and uh, I, my buddy has done a number of them, in, in the state and out of state. And I, when I got back from our mission, I met him and he said, Hey, occasionally I like to have guys come help me. And he had asked me to come with him. And I felt like uh, one of the greatest experiences that I've had uh, in a non-coaching situation where I had a chance to interact with their players, their coaches and Larry specifically. And, and we, and we, you know, there were ropes courses and mountains. There was, evening talks there was transparency like i had never seen it and what it told me is that larry had a sincere desire to get his group at a place where they could be the most effective and 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 be the most efficient and have a culture in that program that that is sustainable and i and it was good it was honestly i don't have time today but it was an amazing experience that i just watched and i saw a group of young men that were all in. And you don't get people to do that unless they're all in with the coach and the staff. I, I, I understand now with winning and losing, that's the nature of this game. And I would, you know, I mean, whatever's going to happen, I don't have any idea. You know, I, I'm, I'm always going to be protective and understanding of a coach and where they're at, but this is the world we live in. And Larry knows that for sure. And, whether he stays here another year or two or his time is short here, whatever it is, uh, I know I've seen him. I saw what he did with young people. I saw how he coached his team. They've got good coaches. And you know what? It may be down the road here, a new environment, a new place, and, and, and maybe that's what's healthier for him and his family because it does get to you and it does get to your family. But, you know, most people don't aren't aware that I actually know Larry let alone have spent time with him, but I have. And, and uh, he's got a huge heart. I mean, I know this man, and this doesn't have anything to do with whether he keeps his job or not. He's not, you know, he's a few games over 500. I know he's being paid a lot of money, and there are expectations. And that's, you know, for you guys and myself to talk about, but that's between a president and AD and where they think it's going. And if they decide they're going to go another direction, Larry is a... <laughs> He, he's he's a grown man. He can handle anything. He's one of the toughest dudes I've been around. Uh, he'll deal with it, and you know he'll find another place to coach if that's what he wants. But I've watched him intimately 
with his guys. And uh, I, I have so much respect for him and for that. And that makes him as a surprise for people that I would even know him. And I'm not saying Zessing were good friends. There's a few texts been shared. But for that time, I was with his team. It was one of the most special things I've done. And uh, so you still got to have guys that put the ball in the basket. And, you, you know, you just got to have the right chemistry. But I felt like the chemistry where they were losing some guys. You know, there was two or three years where they lost a few players. Uh, I felt like he was doing the right thing to reestablish that foundation. It hasn't manifested itself in winning to the degree that I'm sure he or that program would like. So what happens will happen. Uh, I don't doubt that Larry Kostowiak can get right back on it and have a great influence in another program. But I know how hard that can be. And uh, I know our last year, uh, when Keenan Young broke his arm, uh, Trent Flaystead broke his ankle, uh, Lee Kamara decided at the last minute to go on a mission, uh, that kind of devastated that team. I mean, it was just, it, it wasn't much we could do. And uh, I, w- I was really uh, emotionally, it was a year where I felt really bad for the community. I felt like I'd let them down. And that's, that's kind of an immaturity on my part. I had I had worked just as hard. We just had three major injuries to three really good players that would all be Mountain West Conference players of the year, <laughs> you know, first team guys. And uh, that that's another story, another time. But you know, we're all a little bit vulnerable. I, I admit I am, and I think everybody is. But my my counsel to to Larry would be just keep doing what you're doing. Love the guys, and if it's time for a change, it's time for a change. He's got a lot of friends, and there'll be people there to support him. And if he wants to keep coaching, uh, you know, he should because he, he is a great coach. He, he, he does a lot of really, really good things that people don't see, and he's got a solid staff. Uh, so, But that's the nature of this game. And if, that, if it goes that way, I'll feel bad about that, but I'll also be a guy that would encourage him to don't give up on the sport that you love. Uh, he, he's still got years to go and can still make a difference and, you know, it's not like there haven't been hundreds of guys lose jobs, get new jobs, and have great experiences. So at the time it's happening, it's not much fun. But uh, uh, I, I believe in Larry and, and who he is as a person. And, uh, and they're, they're, I'm sure people disagree with me, but I was around him for three or four days. I saw him at his core, and I saw how he was impacting young people. And uh, I, I, I would have no problem having him coach my kids. And so and that may not play out, but that, that's my two cents to it. And I hope it does. I hope it gets another chance. But I also understand you've got to win in this business this day and age, and, uh, and especially in a, in, a, in a university that has great expectations and a proud athletic department. Um, you know, Utah State and BYU are playing well. Southern Utah having a great year this year. Uh, there's a lot of good going. UVU, I think, was one game out of winning the, the WAC, something Mark never did there. And, and, and he came in there, lost the whole group, and Mark Madsen had them battling for a championship. So uh, there's a lot of good coaching here. And great, great state for basketball. And obviously Quinn and his group are amazing. But there are some things about this business that are make it difficult. I, I personally handled some of them real well and others uh, not so well. But I learned, and then now I move on. And I and, enjoy and watch and help others. Steve, as always, we appreciate the time and the perspective. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks a lot. You bet, guys. Take care.
Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Larry Kristoviak, coach of the Utes, is coming up in about half an hour right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, embarrassed on a national stage. Taken last, they probably feel like they were slighted. You go back to February 24th, Jazz, they beat the Lakers by 25. Yes. LeBron does not like getting his nose rubbed in anything, let alone a 25-point beatdown to the Utah Jazz. This is psychological warfare. Utah Jazz players, play with that extra edge, that mentality, that physicality that you'll be unstoppable and avenge the city. There would never be a better time for the Utah Jazz to win a championship so we could all look at the rest of the country and be like, ha! See? You don't got to be number one or two market in the country to have a championship team. Hanson Scotty Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you apart by Davis Vision, giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. All-Star game in the books. All-Star day instead of All-Star weekend. Personally, I liked it. Three-point shootout right into the game. Dunk contest at halftime, and we're done. Of course, that probably cut down on the number of commercial avails. Hey, don't forget about the skills challenge. I already did. And uh, that cut down on the number of commercials and uh, amount of programming TNT had. So I'm, I expect we'll be back with the old format and the Saturday night all-star uh, stuff and all that. But uh, it was fine. There were tons of jazz guys there. Now a little downtime and back at it. Jazz fans who hit us up on social media Seem to enjoy the representation, PK. Good to have their guys out there in the mix. Is that the most they've ever had? Three Tight. players and a coach? Uh, yeah, I think Ford is the record. The three players they'd done before, Stockton, uh, Eaton, and Malone in Houston in the Astrodome back okay. in the late 80s. Well, is that, that's not the question. But he had so. in the coach, yeah, that's, that's new. Because Frank Layden was there, but I think that was early 80s, like 84. Yeah, so this is Jazz Central. It's All Star Weekend was all about the Jazz. Yeah, it really wasn't, but it sounds <laughs> sure <good>. it was. <laughs> Why wasn't it? They weren't the starters. They're higher profile guys. I mean, LeBron's the highest profile guy for and he for played a while only now. like eleven or thirteen minutes. Oh yeah, or definitely like saving the legs after missing the Sacramento game. Yeah, I'll play, but threw down a dunk. Yeah. Got another bucket, and I'm done. I got nothing to prove here. Well, nobody has anything to prove anything in an all-star game. Well, in that case, I'm LeBron, and I'll rest, and you other guys run around out there and wear yourself out. Yeah, I don't know that anybody wore themselves out. I mean, this is light jogging. <clears throat> These are athletic specimens in the primes of their athletic lives, and that that's they they'll, they'll work out harder to today probably yeah, than they did in that game. Yeah, they, they will. Because that's one of the things I asked specifically of Joe. You know, Joe's 33 years old. What did he plan on doing? Was he going to stay away from the gym completely and not get back until they reconvene with their first practice? He says, oh, and I don't know about that. Meaning he's going to go to the gym or, or some form of working out. He was talking about how, well, they come back from uh, Philly on the Thursday, so obviously they get back way early in the morning, so he's going to be fried that day, and then he was probably not going to do anything on Friday, 
but I think he was going to get back and start doing something on Saturday. And so I don't, I don't think any of these guys is going to wear themselves out because I just don't see where they're just going to sit around for four or five days. There's too much at stake. And I, I think when you get to this level, you know, obviously I didn't come anywhere close to getting to that level. But these guys take this thing very seriously, so they're not going to spend a whole lot of time away from working out. Even in a vacation environment, they're still going to get in their work, which is I think you have to, particularly for what the Jazz have at stake here. Because when you go through this first season, or first half of the season, I mean, with this type of record and in this position, you are a legitimate contender for the title. So we are well beyond asking, are they a legitimate contender? Because the answer is yes. You are who you are as far as your record, and this puts you there. So what does that mean now? That Now you've got to up your game. And you've got to be able to meet the task that's at hand because everybody's going to be coming at you. Everybody. There's going to be teams, even the Lakers. They're, I mean, we perceive the Lakers as being better because they're the They won the thing last year, right? And deservedly so. But they still are going to be coming after you. So you've got to meet that challenge. So I'm suspecting every single guy on this Jazz roster is doing some type of work here rather than just sitting back in a lounge chair for for six days. Yeah, you can't sit back uh, for six days. A couple days off and then you got to ramp up. And it all starts Friday, and everything you said, it's, uh, it's great to have the best record at the All-Star break, but if it all falls, falls apart in the second half, so what? Uh, I think the thing the Jazz have going for them is uh, they think some people think it's going to fall apart in the second half of the season, so that motivates them to not take it for granted and make sure they keep the pedal down. Here. Really, you do. I would, I, would, I would like to debate that. Well, we'll do that next. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Big Show Big Show with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Howard Beck, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. Here's the danger of where the Jazz are with this whole thing. It's not about location. It's not about market. Back in the day, I don't think anybody in the league didn't respect Malone and Stockton in that group. Those teams were respected. It's the way you channel it. We want respect. Maybe we haven't earned it yet. We just got to keep kicking everybody's butt. Maybe it's not enough to have the best record in the league through four weeks, five weeks, eight weeks. We got to do it the whole season. That's a positive way of channeling perceived disrespect. If it's more of a persecution complex, nobody respects us because we play in Utah. The referees don't respect us. There's a bias against us. That sounds, to me, defeatist. And I think they need to let go of that narrative as quickly as they can. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. And now, really? your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Really? Third one is a miss. Will this be the champ? Curry hits it at the buzzer! For the second time, is the Mountain Dew three-point champion. There's your Chevy Strong play of the game. Steph Curry had to make eight of his last nine shots, hit both money balls, and that's exactly what he did. He edges edges out Mike Conley by one point and wins a three-point shootout. Know that today, 450 on the big show, and you can win fabulous prizes. All right, PK, you wanted to debate that. I think there's people waiting slash expecting the Jazz to stumble, probably to various degrees, and when they stumble in the second half of the season or the playoffs. But, yeah, I think there are people waiting for the Jazz to stumble. Maybe that drives them. I don't think there's a possibility of stumbling in the second half. 
I think it's all about the postseason. There's no such thing as stumbling in the second half if you have success in the postseason. Well, that's true. But if they were to go out and, I don't know, they play in 750 ball now and play 600 ball and slip to a two or three seed and go out in the second round, I think people would view the stumble as having started in the, or I guess even if they went out in the first round. Uh, if you're three seed, I think there'll be six good teams in the West. We'll have to watch their health down the stretch. But, you know, and you lose to a Portland or Denver in the first round, that would be viewed as stumbling. But even if you lost in the second round, it'd be like, yeah, see, look at you guys. I don't think the second half will have anything to do with that. I think it's, a, it's two different – they've got two seasons left. They've got the second half, and then they got the postseason. And you've seen enough that the second half worries you not at all. The postseason, anything could happen. Because honestly, that's basically what I'm thinking. I think they're going to do well in the second half of the regular season. I don't know if they'll maintain a 750 pace. And I don't know that they'll be the number one seed for sure. But I think they'll do well. But what's going to happen in the postseason? Right. No idea. Uh, the full range of possibilities all seems plausible right now. The second half slump, even if they had it, it should only be short because there's enough teams that they'll just be able to beat, not by showing up, but, but they won't necessarily need their A game to be right. able to beat that team. So they'll pile up a fair amount of victories. Yep. I wouldn't necessarily bet what do they got, 27 now. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, and they're right at the halfway point. So I wouldn't, uh, whatever, what, what would their record be? They're not going to go 27 did. and 9 again, is your point. Is that what right. you're leading up to? Right. So whatever that f- record is. But if I said they went 24 and 12. That's fine. That sounds plausible to you. That, 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 that's To me, that's I, pl- plenty good enough. But the, then it's. The success of this season now, they're at the stature where this will be determined by the postseason. And there's only three teams that you can say that in the West. Their season will be defined by the postseason. Only three teams. The two L.A.s and the Jazz. That's it. What about Denver? Mm. They messed up the start. They're not going to have a glorious regular season record, but they do seem to be trending up. I think you'd agree with that. And how much better are they going to get? You know, they're, they're adjusting to the loss of a lot of minutes in their rotation. Now, they're getting better at it, but is there a ceiling they're going to bump up against here? Yeah, I don't know that they're getting better at it. That's the whole thing with Denver, is they seem to be getting better at it, and then they lose three out of four. <laughs> so I can't say that I want to say that they're getting better at it, and they're a good team. They're a good team. But are they uh, a finals team? that I thought was a possibility. Right now, the answer is no. Uh, and maybe that they've got time to prove it. That's the great thing about it, is you, you can talk about it all you want, but at the pro level, you've got time to prove it until you don't have any time to prove it. And so you don't have to wait for some stupid committee to come out with a poll on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. That doesn't matter. So they'll be able to show it or not show it. But I want to give them the credit, and then they turn around and they lose some games. So I think their talent, when you have a superstar, the level of Jokic should dictate it. But right now, I still believe there's only three teams that their posts their season, as we give it the final analysis and evaluation, will be determined on postseason success. And halfway through the season, that's exactly where what you want. Phoenix, you want to be in that category. Phoenix, you're not putting in that group because this season's already been a success. And they're if you haven't made the playoffs in 11 years, all right. of a sudden I'm going to devi- de- define you by the postseason? Right. 
the fact that they've got this good a record, they're sitting in the two spot now, but wherever they finish, assuming the wheels don't come completely off, and neither one of us thinks they're going to. I mean, they got Crowder and Paul who've been in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd have to go look and see maybe Kaminsky. I'm not sure. He's been around a little bit. But everybody else, I don't believe, has literally been in the right. postseason. So now I'm expecting to have them to have success someplace they haven't been. That doesn't make any sense. DJ and PK, Larry Kristoviak, Utah basketball coach, coming up next.